0: You're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. Alright, if everyone wants to turn in their pamphlet to the scripture reading... The first one is from Genesis. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then 1 John, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. What we're going to be doing this semester is a little bit different than what we typically do. It's, it's normally our practice in RUF to pick books of the Bible and just kind of walk through them over the course of a semester or so. So in the past, we have looked at the Gospel of John, we've looked at the book of Exodus, we went through Revelation a couple of years ago. Hopefully, Lord willing, next semester we'll go through the Old Testament book of Judges, which will be fun. Four of you will come back for the spring. and um, But this semester, uh, we're doing something different. Every four years or so, it's kind of our practice to do a topical series on the subject of relationships. This is kind of a big deal for y'all especially, but it's kind of a big deal for people. And so we want to ask the question, what does the Bible say about how we relate to all these different kind of things that we're related to? How do we relate to our parents? How do we relate to our emotions? How do we relate to God? How do we relate to dating? How do we relate to marriage? How do we relate to singleness and sex and sexuality and on and on and on? So that's kind of what we're doing this semester. And uh, to begin tonight, I want to I start off by asking you a question that might sound weird. And it might, uh, I don't know how it's going to land with you. But here's my question. This is rhetorical. I don't, we don't have, you don't have to answer this. But here's the question. What are people for? Have you thought about this? Like, why, do, why, do you, why are you breathing right now? Like, why do you exist? If I were to ask you to come over to my house, because I, I had some stuff that I needed to get done around the house, and let's say that uh, I, needed, I needed help particularly from you to help hang a picture on the wall. So I've got, I've got the spot on the wall that I want. I've got the picture. I've got the nail, and I'm, I'm about to do it. And I said, hey, let me see your iPhone real quick. And you hand me your phone, and I use your phone to start hammering the nail in, and and the front is shattered, and pieces of glass are flying, and and if the nail's not going in, and I hand you back your phone, I'm like, dude, your phone sucks. (laughs) Can't even hammer a nail in. You would be confused, um, angry, you'd feel all sorts of things in your emotional pie chart. And uh, the reason being is because a phone was not designed to be a hammer. It sucks as a hammer. It's not a very good hammer. That's not the reason why it was designed. The phone was designed for me to check Instagram. And that was a joke. (laughs) But my point is you don't know whether or not something is good or bad unless you know what its purpose is. If you think the purpose of a phone is to hammer in nails, you're going to say this is a pretty crappy phone, but that's not what a design of a, per, of a phone is. So the question is, how do you know whether or not you're living a good life? How do you know whether or not... Uh, You are living life the way that is full and meaningful and the way that it was supposed to be lived. You cannot answer that question unless you know why you exist, unless you know what your purpose is, unless you know what people are for. So uh, a lot of people will say, well, you have no purpose. You're you're kind of a, unfortunately, you're just a cosmic accident. You came from a, a bunch of random natural processes, and here you are. And one day, someday, the sun's going to burn out and everybody's going to die and it's just going to be a dark, meaningless void. Your origins are meaningless, your future is meaningless, and so your existence is meaningless. The Bible says, uh, provides a different answer to that. The Bible gives a different answer. And so what I want to do tonight is really just look at two things. The Bible's answer to these two big questions, why you exist and why it matters. So why we exist why it matters. And let me just cite, I want to cite my sources on the front end because when it comes to this particular series, uh, 99% of the material that I'm going to present tonight and throughout the course of this semester is not really original to me. This This is borrowed and stolen from all kinds of different people. So I'm going to cite all my sources on the front end rather than Put footnotes at every four seconds throughout the entire semester. So, from now on, here you're about to get John Stone, Les Newsome, Britton Wood, Tim Keller, Ryan Anderson, Stuart Swain, Matthew Terrell, Rankin Wilburn. This is 99 percent them. If there's anything that is helpful or encouraging or insightful, it was their contribution. If you're frustrated or confused or offended, that was that was the one percent that I, I contributed. So, let's talk about this. Why do you exist? Why did you exist? Let's look at that Genesis 1 passage. I'll read it again. Genesis 1, 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man, meaning mankind, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, I want you to notice two details about that verse. Two details. Here's detail number one. God says, Let us make man in our image. Now, who in the world is he talking to? Well, people have lots of different opinions, but, uh, I think the text is pretty clear that he's talking to himself. But it's interesting because he's talking to himself in the plural. He didn't say, let me make mankind in my image. He says, let us. Now, why is he talking about himself in the plural? Well, um, I think this is a hint of something that becomes a lot clearer later in the Bible, and that is that God is one God, but he is himself three persons within that one God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's a trinity. I mean, he's one God, but each of these persons is uniquely and distinct, and yet each of them is in and of themselves completely and fully God. One God, three persons. It's a mystery. I can't explain it ever, but I'm not going to try to explain it tonight. What is important to notice for our purposes tonight is this. What I want you to notice is that God is himself a community. God from all of eternity has existed as a community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have eternally been loving, adoring, delighting, and serving each other. God is inherently relationally loving. This is why in 1 John chapter 4, you're going to get this verse that says, God is love, Love isn't this thing that just came later when he decided to create stuff and then he decided to love it. He, love is inherent to his nature, to his being. He has and always, ha- and always will be eternally relationally loving. That's detail number one. Now, detail number two is this. It says, let us make man, mankind in our image, which means you were fashioned after a relationally loving God. Which means you were designed to be relational. It's, 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 it's hardwired into your DNA. You, you can't escape it. You, you are inherently relational and built for relationships, built for a relationship with God, built for a relationship with yourself, built for a relationship with others, and built for a relationship with the world because you're designed after a God that is himself a loving relational community. Now I think you might probably know this intuitively, but let me try to prove this uh, point to you real quick. In the 1940s, there was this man named Rene Spitz, which is an awesome name. Last name S P I T Z Spitz. And so he did, he did this. Uh, he's a psychologist, and he did this. Uh, he did this study in the 1940s. This is this is really fascinating. It's actually really disturbing. You can look it up online. He did this. Um, Uh, research at this really under-resourced orphanage, and he was trying to figure out what would it look like, what what does it do to human beings when they don't have human contact? There was uh, 97 infants in this particular orphanage, but there weren't enough workers to, to give the infants what they need in terms of holding them and singing to them. I mean, they had food, they had water, they had all the kind of nourishment they needed, but they didn't have enough workers to actually hold these babies. So babies would just sit in their cribs for hours and hours on end without anybody singing to them, anybody holding them. And he just observed what, what, what happens to these infants. 97 of them in this orphanage. After five months, there started to be some physical signs that started to show up. Uh, several of the infants had loss of appetite. Uh, they started to lose some of their uh, motor skills, um, they, they, whenever you tried to hold them, they would scream in terror. Um, after the, the result of this study, 37% of the babies died, even, they had, even though they had sufficient food and water. And of the 97 babies that were in this orphanage, uh, three years later, after three years of research, only two could physically walk. They had food, they had water, they had nutrition. Now, that, this, that, I mean, his study is pretty disturbing, but I think what his research shows is actually really fascinating. He's showing you that you were designed, you were made for relationships, you can't live without them. Like, relationships are not just a nice little add-on. If you have them, great. If you don't, NBD. It's like, you need this like you need oxygen. You need this like you need water. It, isn't it fascinating... Um, that solitary confinement is, is the worst form of punishment that we've come up with in this country? I mean, if you think about it, we really want to punish somebody bad. You've been really bad. We're going to punish you. And our idea is we're going to cut off all human connection from you. And there's been obviously interesting studies that have, that have come out of that as well, that you put somebody in solitary confinement for an extended amount of time and they begin to unravel as a person. Here's my point. Relationships are the stuff of life. It is woven into the fabric of the universe. You were designed, you were built, you were made for relationships. This is why if you're new, if you're new to UT, freshman, transfer, when you came in, you, you may have thought about this consciously, you may have thought about this unconsciously, but y- you had a plan about how you were going to form relationships. You showed up and you said, I'm going to f- join a fraternity, I'm going to join a sorority, I'm going to check out campus ministries, I'm going to go to a church, I'm going to sign up for intramurals, I'm going to do activities, and your game plan was designed for what purpose? I want to meet people. I need to connect with people. Where, where are the people? You even thought through what you were going to wear in order to connect with certain types of people. Who to impress, who to get in with, who to fit in with. Your clothing was your way of saying, I want to fit in with that kind of person, that type of person. And even if you didn't show up with a particular plan about how you were going to connect with people, my guess is you showed up with some level of anxiety or worry. Am I going to find friends here? Will I, Who am I going to sit with at the football game? Who am I going to tailgate with? Who am I, will I find friends here like the ones that I had in high school? Or maybe for some of you, it's like, will I find friends that are not like my friends in high school? And for you upperclassmen, my guess is the thrill of coming back in the fall semester, the excitement of being back, why you're so excited these first couple weeks, is not because of football, it's not because of your classes, it's because you're excited to see people, your friends, your people. People that you haven't seen all summer long. Here's my big point. My big point is this. Is that because you were made in the image of a loving relational God, you were designed for relationships. You were made to be loved and to love. That's why you're breathing right now. That's why you exist. You were made to be loved and to love. Which means this. It means... You don't have to feel guilty about really wanting friends. That, that, you don't have to feel guilty about having a desire for a boyfriend or a girlfriend or, like, I want to be married one day. Like, that desire isn't immature. That desire isn't immaturity. It's not sub spiritual. It's not worldly. It's you being a human. You were designed for a relationship, you were built to be loved and to love. That's why you exist. Now, that's a big claim. So I want to secondly talk about why that matters. If that's true, why does it matter? Well, yo, here's why this matters. Because if it's true that relationships are the, you know, it's woven into the fabric of the universe, this is why you're breathing right now, then this means that relationships have the most potential to hurt you. Relationships are so powerful because it is the very stuff of life. They have the most potential to hurt you. I'm going to date myself here. I don't know if y'all have seen the movie Up in the Air. It came out about ten years ago. George Clooney. I feel I got a thumbs down. So <laughs> I'm going to. I'll, I'll I'll give you the quick plot anyway. Uh, George Clooney plays this kind of motivational speaker guy, and he goes around and he speaks at these conventions. And he has this little spiel where he talks about a backpack. He says, I want you to imagine that you put everything that you own in your backpack. You're carrying around this backpack. You put your couch in there. You put your books in there. You put your computer in there. You put all your clothes in there. Everything you own is in your backpack. Isn't it heavy? Doesn't it just kind of weigh you down? You can't move. And he says, okay, take all that stuff out. Take it all out. And now what I want you to do is I want you to put all the people in your life. Everything from acquaintances that you just kind of generally interact with to like the most meaningful relationships in your life. I want you to put all of those people, your significant other, your parents, your friends, put it all in the backpack. And here's what he says. I'm gonna read you the script. Quote. He says, feel the weight of that bag. Make no mistake, your relationships are the heaviest components of your life. Feel the straps cutting into your shoulders all those negotiations and arguments and secrets and compromises. Now, set that bag down. You don't need to carry all that weight. Some animals were meant to carry each other, to live symbiotically over a lifetime. Star-crossed lovers, monogamous swans. We, are not one of those animals. The slower we move, the faster we die. We are not swans. We're sharks. (laughs) Thumbs up now or thumbs down still? Thumbs down. Um, Here's what he's saying. I love that quote. I think it's fascinating because what he's saying is, look, I recognize your relationships are the heaviest most demanding part of your life with the most potential for pain in your life. So his solution is you get rid of them. You isolate yourself. You cut yourself off. You you protect yourself. You cocoon yourself. You get thick skin. Because if you let somebody in, if you carry them, you bring them into your life, you you have just opened up enormous potential to be hurt, to be weighed down, to be burdened. And who wants that? Everyone in this room carries the scars of relationships. Every one of us has been hurt because of our relationships. Some of you carry the scars of of your parents' divorce. Some of you uh, have been crushed by the betrayal of your friends. Uh, Some of you have experienced the disorienting Pain of abuse. Some of you have have been taken advantage of when you were vulnerable. Some of you have been marginalized and oppressed just because of the color of your skin or your background. Uh, Some of you have felt like that crushing sense of rejection by being broken up with or getting cut from a house. And even if it hasn't been some of the one of these big things, everybody in this room knows what it feels like to be misunderstood knows what it feels like to be made fun of, to be gossiped about, to be made to feel stupid in some way. My point is nobody navigates through relationships unscathed. So uh, we're caught in this paradox, right? We all desperately want relationships, but they're so painful. You you know when like a fly gets into your house and uh, it finds the window And it keeps banging against the window, thinking that's the way out. And it's bam. It's like, dude, how is it not killing that fly? It's just banging over and over. And I I thought about this, and I was like, I I think I kind of resonate with that fly sometimes, because it's like, here is this fly that so desperately wants and needs to be outside, but when he tries, it's so painful. And I think that's the human experience. We so desperately want and need relationships, and when we try, it's so painful. And so we're caught in this paradox of we really want this thing and we're desperate for it and it's so scary and it's so painful. So like George Clooney's character, we, just d- we adapt, we develop strategies on how we can move out into the world and protect ourselves. And the number one strategy that I think human beings employ to protect ourselves so we don't get hurt out of fear is this, we hide. That's what we do, we hide. We hide. Some some of us like actually physically hide. We we just we hole up in our room, our dorm room, our apartment, and we just we just grind on Fortnite all night, or we dive into the uh, we dive into the YouTube vortex that just sucks you in, video after video after video. We just we do the mindless social media scroll, endless, endless, endless. We do the you know just burning through Netflix seasons. We hold up in our room. For some of us, it's that we just go home every weekend. Just hiding. I'm scared of this, so I'll just go there. For some of us, we only hang out with our boyfriend or our girlfriend. It's just a way of hiding. I'm, I'm scared of the rest, the, the greater community at UT, so I'm just going hi, to hide. But for, for most of us, we don't physically hide. We, we're a lot more sophisticated and subtle about it. We go out into the world But we know, every one of us, we have insecurities, we have inadequacies, we have deficiencies, we have flaws, we have secrets, we have shame, and we're so worried if anybody sees that, they're going to reject me, they're going to treat me differently, they're going to think of me differently, I'm going to be a burden to them. So we hide all of that stuff, and we do it in lots of different ways. Where we, you know, we hide in plain sight. Here we are, we're out in the world, and yet we still kind of hide. And one of the main ways that we do it, especially at UT, is that we hide behind our busyness. If you're a moving target, and you're doing a million different things, you, nobody can hit you. Nobody can pin you down. Nobody can actually get to know you and see you. We, hi- we get busy. Nobody can actually stop and get to know you if you're busy. We hide uh, behind our spirituality. It's easy to go to a lot of different churches, or a lot of different campus ministries, and go to Bible studies, and have that be sort of like a, a, a way so that nobody asks questions. You're good. This was me in college. I went to college, and I got involved in like five campus ministries. I bounced back between two different churches. I wore very overt Jesus t-shirts. I had Jesus posters in my dorm room. I was that guy. And uh, none of y'all would have been friends with me in college, and... Um, But for me, it it was, you know, people that saw me thought that I was spiritually mature, but nobody knew me because all of my spirituality was just a big decoy. It was spiritual decoration to divert attention away from me because I was so scared. What if somebody actually got to know me, me? So I just pretended and put up the Jesus posters and assumed I'm good. Y'all don't need to talk to me. We can hide behind our busyness, we can hide behind our spirituality, and here's another one. We can hide behind our personality, especially when you get to college. For a lot of us, college feels like it's this this clean slate where you can redefine who you want to be. My wife and I have been watching uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee recently. And uh, Chris Rock is on that show at one point, and here's what he says. I thought this was a fascinating quote. He says, freshman year of college, all it is is a lot of people auditioning their new personality. That's pretty thought-provoking. Freshman year is just you auditioning your new personality because it really is easy. This is not everybody, but it really is easy to show up and be like, nobody knows me. Nobody knows where I came from. I get to start over. I get to be whatever I want to be, so I want to be the funny, quirky, weird guy in college. When in high school you were like, a you know, engineer or something. Um, <laughs> you can show up at college and be like, I want to be the confident like, leader. I'm going to get really involved. You can show up at college and be like, I'm, I'm going to do the wild party thing. I'm going to be that person. Because I, 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 I wasn't that in high school, but I can be that here. You can show up at college and be like, I'm going to be the devoted religious Jesus person in college. You really do get to show up and kind of create who you want to be. But the problem is, is you're not being you. You're, you're presenting to the world a brand. You're branding yourself. This is my personal brand. Do you like it? This is me. You're auditioning. Here's my point. All these different ways that we hide busyness, our personality, our spirituality, what is insane about this strategy is that it doesn't work. We so desperately want relationships, but when we hide, we don't get the thing we wanted. Bottom line, when you hide, you don't get connection with people. It's madness. It's like using your cell phone to hammer in a nail. You're doubling down on the chaos. Not only are you not hammering in the nail, you're damaging the phone. When you hide, not only do you not get what you want, relationships and connection, you're damaging yourself. You're lonely. You're dehumanizing yourself. You're exploiting yourself. You're still disconnected from everybody. So what do we do? What do we do with this fear inside of us? How do we overcome this fear of being hurt so that we can actually move into the world and connect with people, which is what we were designed for? My wife and I uh, have really, we, we just started watching Mad Men again. We've, we watched season one like forever ago and we just started season two and we're going to try to finish it this time. We never finished it. And one of my friends told me about this scene that we haven't seen yet, but it's, apparently it's coming up. I don't know when it's coming up. Spoiler, Catherine. Uh, but it's coming up. But there's this scene where you know Don Draper, who's the main like, creative ad guy on the show, he's like the main character, and he's in his office. And apparently there's this woman that comes in that's claiming to be a fortune teller. And he's like, oh, really? You're a fortune teller? And she sits down and she says, I want you to think of a question, any question you want to think of, and I'll tell you what it is by the end of the day. And he stops for a second and he kind of thinks, and he says, okay. And she gets up and leaves. And later on in the episode, she comes back into his office and she says, okay, I know what your question is. And he's like, okay, what is it? What, what's, what's the question that I thought of? And she said, your question is this, does anybody really love me? And he kind of looks shocked at and he's like, how did you know that? And she says, that's the question everybody's asking. And I think that is so insightful to human nature. In our core, we're all asking that question. Does anybody love me? If anybody knew the real me, not the fake PR me that I'm presenting to the world, would, would they love me? And here's the thing. What if, what if you knew in the core of your being that you were loved? What if you knew that you were loved? Well, then there would be no more fear, right? You, you, you would actually be freed up to risk. You can move into the world with confidence. You can move into the world with fullness. You could take risks in relationships, even if you potentially get hurt because you know it's going to be okay. I know I'm going to get hurt here at some level, but I'm willing to do it because I have the inner resources of knowing that I'm loved. Look at First John 4. First John 4 talks about this. It uses the same logic. This is John writing. He says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Did you hear what he just said? He just said love is what casts out Your fear, knowing that you are loved, is the thing that frees you. No more fear. I don't have to hide anymore. I don't have to pretend anymore. I don't have to posture. I don't have to PR myself anymore. I can just be me because I know in the core of my being that I am loved. He says, you see what he said at the end? We love because he first loved us. The thing that is going to fuel your ability to love other people is when you know that you have first been loved by God. Before you loved him, before you loved anybody else, he loved you first. Now, here's the million-dollar question. How can you know that God loves you? Not just because some Bible Jesus guy told you at RUF. How can you, like, really know that God loves you? Romans 5.8 says this, God demonstrates his love for us in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. While we were sinners, Jesus died for us. The only way that you will experience the love of God is when you experience it at the cross. The cross tells you two things at the same time. It says on the one hand, God knows everything about us and that's why he had to die for us. All the stuff that we hide, all of our flaws, all of our shame, all of our struggles, all of our secrets, he knows and sees all of those things. The things that we're afraid of make us unlovable. He sees it. That's why he had to die for us. But secondly, the cross also tells you he was glad to die for you. He was willing to. He thought you were worth it. You were his treasure. You're you're worth giving everything up in order to get. And what that means is when you put those two things together, you can know that it's okay that you're not okay because you're loved. Here's what Tim Keller says. Tim Keller puts it this way. "To, To be loved and not known is comforting, but it's superficial. To be known And not loved, well, that's our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. The gospel says you are completely known and you are utterly and unconditionally loved. And if you know that in the core of your being, that is what casts out fear. That's what enables you to move into the world with with wholeness and fullness and the, and the, the ability to risk, the ability to be vulnerable, the ability to actually be hurt and to say at the end of the day, it's okay because I know in the core of who I am that I am loved. And so here's the question for you tonight. Do you know that? Do you know that you are loved? And if you don't, And if you are iffy about that, then my invitation would be for you to look at the cross, to focus on the cross, to meditate on the cross, and to let it define you and to to let it melt you and to move you. What do you think the semester would look like if you entered into it? And you entered into all your relationships, your dating relationships, your roommate relationships, your your sorority and and, uh, fraternity relationships. if If you entered into the network of relationships that are in front of you, What if you entered into all of those relationships with a deep, deep confidence that the God of the universe loves you and delights in you? I think everything would be different. But that is the invitation for you tonight to maybe even dare to believe it for the first time. That you, with all of your flaws and all of your junk and all of your secrets, he sees it all and he still finds you precious in his sight. That's the invitation for you tonight. Let me pray. I pray, Father, that you would give us the confidence and the freedom to know your great love for us. That you loved us even when in our own eyes we see ourselves as unlovable. And Father, I pray that that love would change us, that would change the way that we relate to ourselves, it would change the way that we relate to our dating relationships, it would change the way that we relate to our schoolwork, everything, that we would do life radically differently because we know we're loved. Give us that gift to see it, to believe it. We would pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.